Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Scripture lesson today comes from Mark's Gospel, the ninth chapter, verses 30 through 37. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask. Then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about along the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another over who was the greatest. He sat down and called the 12 and he said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and he put him among them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one such child as this welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, As we gather to worship this morning, we came with expectant hearts, expecting to hear what you would say to us. So speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak clearly, O Lord, so that we would hear your words in the depths of our souls, but be transformed as well in the depths of our souls so that we would leave this hour with you, not just as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So I think it's safe to say that by now we recognize that social media is a good thing. But like all good things, it can have a a, a bad side to it. So take, for example, Facebook. Facebook, you can use that to keep up with friends, what's happening with friends' grandchildren or your college friends or whatever. But then you can see those posts that some people put up there and you just know when you read it, it's probably going to stir up something somewhere. Take, for example, a picture I saw the other day of my friend Kathy. She's got a picture. She's standing there in this picture with her mom, and her shirt says, I'm mom's favorite. Now, Kathy's got sisters. So I'm sure that this, with the look on her face, this might actually be an inside joke with them all. Or maybe Kathy is putting a flag in the ground, throwing the gauntlet down, and challenging the sisterhood that she's the favorite and mom loves her best. I mean, we all like to be great. We all like to be the best. We all want to be the favorite. We all think of ourselves as the greatest in the world sometimes. 
I mean, take the boxer Muhammad Ali. A story is told about him that he gets on an airplane one day and he sits down in, in first class. You know, he's Muhammad Ali. He knows who he is. He, won't, he assumes everybody else knows who he is. And the flight attendant, she comes along and says, sir, you're going to need to buckle your seatbelt. Now he starts to give her grief. And parenthetically, why do we give flight attendants grief? This is their job to keep us safe. Let's just listen to them. Let's just pay attention to what they're saying. Let's actually pay attention when they give us the signs and all of that. Let's actually watch and respect them. But she starts to give him grief and he says, do you know who I am? And she says, no, he goes, I'm Superman. I don't need no seatbelt. And she says, well, Superman don't need no airplane either. So buckle your seatbelt. I mean, that's quick. I like that. See, we like being first. We want to be the greatest. It's in our human nature. We want to do this. I mean, this is innate in us, whether we want to admit it or not. I remember when uh, my oldest started playing soccer, she was in that, that very young rec league, which really it's not soccer. It's more like amoeba soccer. You know, you put the ball on the ground and you tell the kids to go at it and they just move in mass. 22 preschoolers moving around a ball. And what they did is someone got this idea, one of these brilliant leagues got this idea is we're not going to keep score. There's not going to be winners and losers. There's not going to be a season champ. Now, let me tell you, on paper, that sounds great, right? Teach kids the love of the game, not that there's winners and losers. I can guarantee you, if you ask any one of those kids which team scored more goals at the end of the game, they can tell you. If you said which team scored more goals in their games all season long, they could tell you it's just who we are. We want to be first. We want to be the greatest. We want to be the best. We want to be the favorite. We come out naturally. But see, what we learn is in God's kingdom, the definition of what is first, what is greatest, is not what it seems to the world. Let that sink in for a minute. What is first, what is greatest, is not what it seems to the world. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ challenges our understanding of who and what is the greatest. So in today's passage I read, there's actually two things going on in there. That's why it's pinned together like this. First, Jesus is teaching the disciples and they slip through Nazareth wanting to be incognito. How this happens, I don't know, but they're able to do this by some miracle and Jesus is trying to reassure the disciples to tell them what is about to happen. So in that text, he says, he, he's talking to the 12, he says, the son of man is going to be handed over to humans and they're going to kill him. And three days later, he will be raised from the dead. He has given them the Cliff Notes version of what is about to happen in Jesus's life. It's interesting, the disciples, the text says the disciples were too afraid to ask questions. So I think sometimes we have questions about our faith. We have questions about things and we are unsure what to do and we're not sure how to deal with them. And so we clam up. And what I want to tell you is when we have questions about faith, Jesus wants us to ask those questions because that's how we learn that's how we grow. There are no dumb questions in God's kingdom. There are no silly questions in God's presence. If we don't understand, let's ask each other. Let's seek to grow together. 
But second, as they travel, as they come into Capernaum, remember he says they got into Capernaum. When they came in the house, Jesus went to them and said, what are you at? What were you all talking about on the road? See, Jesus knew that there was something going on. He had, you know, he's Jesus. I mean, he's the son of God. He is fully human and fully divine. He knows our human condition, but he knows what they were talking about. And the disciples, because they were embarrassed by the topic, clammed up. I mean, you ever, done it? You ever walked into the room and you've, you've caught in a classroom of kids and you know that they're up to something or a group of teenagers and you walk in the room and you can just tell something is going down. And you say, what are you kids doing? And everybody goes, <whistles> looks, yeah, you know what it's like? You walk up onto a group of friends talking on the street corner, what are y'all talking about? And everybody stammers and looks around. Chances are they're talking about you or they're talking about something dear to you. But see, Jesus knew what they were talking about, so he cut straight to the chase. I love this about Jesus. He just, he knows they're embarrassed by this and he knows what's going on, so he gets this dispute. And so this is what he says. He knows they were trying to figure out who was the greatest among the 12, who was disciple number one. And so he just tells them how it is. The first must be last and servant of all. The greatest, the first must be last and servant of all. And then he takes a child up into his arms and he says, if anyone welcomes a child like this, then you welcome me. And you really don't just welcome me, you really welcome the one who sent me. See, in that moment, Jesus flipped the script on what is the greatest in the kingdom. But I want you to notice one thing. Jesus did not condemn the disciples for trying to figure out who was the greatest. Jesus understood that was part of their human condition. Matter of fact, he applauded that, but he wanted to reframe the script. Wanted to reframe their definition of the greatest and how you determine that. It isn't a set of boxes that you check who knows the most scripture, who brought Jesus breakfast the most, who did this, who did it, no. The first must be the last and the servant of all. You must welcome a child like this. See, what Jesus is telling us, for us to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, that we've got to be humble, that we've got to seek out and identify with the least, and that we've got to serve people. See, if we do those things, then we will be truly great. We will be the great people that God knows that we can be. If we do those three things, if we're humble, seek out the least and serve people. So a few years ago, Mary and I were at Biltmore State. We were there touring the grounds and it was sort of an, it was part of the off season, I guess. And so we found ourselves on a bus, one of the, the buses driving around the estate by ourselves with the driver. And he was one of those chatty drivers. How y'all doing? Where are you from? Chatting up. And so he starts telling stories and I love to listen to stories. So he's telling this story that he says, one day 
Well, I don't know if you know this. He says, but the family still owns the company. He says, they're great people to work for. They're one of the nicest groups of people you could ever be around. He says, one day there was this, this, this story goes in the company that the granddaughter, the great granddaughter of Cornelius Vanderbilt, she's one of the owners. She's out front in the house talking with some of her coworkers. And they're just sort of talking about things and sort of checking in on how the day was going. And a tourist walks up to him and starts asking questions like only tourists can do. Now he says this, and I'm thinking, tourist. But anyway, we'll let that slide. So he starts saying, he's like, you know, well, when was the house built? And she's like, you get a book. No, they didn't say that. But she said, they started answering the questions and where's the best place to eat? How's the best way to get a reservation? And then, then the tourist, you could tell there was something else. They said, well, is there something else? She said, yeah, so is any of the family still around? And they said, well, absolutely, they're still around. She said, do, do they have anything to do with the house? Well, actually, they own the house. They own the company. Oh, well, do they do anything with it or are they sitting up in some fancy paneled office somewhere just counting their money? And the staff were, and the staff were sitting around and they're like, oh, no, 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 they're out and about. They're, they're on the grounds every day. They're checking in on things. Well, what are they like? Oh, they're one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. They're really kind. They really love their job. They love all their employees. They love the company. Oh, well, what do they like to talk to? Oh, they're very fun. They're very friendly, very easy to talk to. Wow. Wow. I wonder if I could meet them sometimes. Say, well, you never know. You might meet them when you're out walking around. They're just easy to talk to. Wow. If I could only be so lucky. And they said, she said, yeah, if I could only be so lucky. And with that, she wandered off. And when she was way out of hearing distance, they all turned. And they looked at the granddaughter and they all died laughing. Because in that moment in time, she had been standing in the presence of Cornelius Vanderbilt royalty, the great granddaughter of Cornelius Vanderbilt, and had had no clue. She had been conversing with her and they had all been talking, this group of three employees of Biltmore, including the owner and the tourist. In that moment in time, she had exactly what she had hoped and did not even know it because that was just how humble she was. See, Jesus' teaching is this idea of humility that it takes the things that we have in this world, the things that we have held power to, like status and passion and position and wealth, the things that have meaning and we create and we score the greatest for our world. Jesus tosses all of that out. And instead, what he says that in God's eyes, we are all equal. And that's what matters most. That we are all children of God, that the greatest gift that we can give each other is the gift of status, that we see each other as equals no matter where we come from, no matter what walk of life, no matter what our education, no matter what our job, no matter what our position, that we see each other that way. That we humble ourselves to Christ who is the greatest, but we humble ourselves to each other as brothers and sisters, as children of God. But in that understanding, in that, hum, in, that, in that humbling of our own selves, we also need to recognize that when the world gives us status, when the world gives us that position, when the world gives us that, felt, that, that wealth, that fame, that honor, that it's incumbent upon us to share that and pour that out over each other so that we are all lifted up. They were all held in the same value as people around us. Because my brothers and sisters, when we do that, when we lift each other up, when we see each other as equals on the playing field of life, then that is when we enter into the relationship of greatness in the kingdom.
Jesus was teaching that, and then he picks up the child and he holds a child in his arm. And he says, when you welcome a child like this, you welcome me. Now, what we know about children and women in that day, and let me be really clear, children and women in that day, let me be really clear, in that day, were second-class citizens. So Jesus welcoming a child in their presence, Jesus holding a child up, Jesus welcoming a child when he says, when you welcome them, you welcome me. So Jesus is tossing the script all the way out the window. Whatever the cultural custom of the day was, he says no more. They have intrinsic and great value to God in heaven. The least matter. He might have even said the least matter most. And so greatness comes for us when the least are no longer the least. When it's no longer us and them, but when it's we together. See, we are called to be great. We're called to seek out this idea of community, this idea where we lift each other up, then pour our compassion upon each other and upon the world. I mean, think about the issues that face our community. You just have to pick a newspaper up on any given day of the week and we're faced with them. Things like housing, things like poverty, things like education. The question for us is, are we disturbed by what we read? Are we moved by what we read? Or when we drive around town and we see people on a street corner holding up a cardboard sign, are we moved to reach in and hand them a bag? You know, I talked this a couple of weeks ago, talking about this idea of what we could do as far as a relief bag. Do we have something that we can hand them, a bag of food so they can live today with a full belly? Or maybe we have a card. We've got some of these in the narthex that talk about how folks can find a meal, a warm meal, any given day of the week right here in the city. Do we have something that we can hand them that says, I see you and you matter. I want to care for you. And here's a place. Here's a gift. Are we compelled to learn more about those issues? I mean, right here in our city, we have the Center for Economic and Social Mobility. You can Google that, the Center for Economic and Social Mobility. You Google it up and it's got a website and you go to the website and it begins to enumerate these issues in our community. And with that, we begin to understand and to learn and our eyes are awakened to what's going on in the world around us. Think of it as the paragraphs behind the words we read in the paper. They tell the full story. So we begin to understand the roots and the legacies, the issues and the complexities. And maybe, just maybe, the more we read, we begin to find a solution in which each of us as individuals is able to pour our gifts, our talents, our time, our energy into it to make the world a better place so that the least are not the least. See, the kingdom is not about us as individuals. It's about helping our neighbor, children of God, so that they feel value and greatness, so that they realize that the Savior is holding in their arms and says, you matter to me always. And we can look them in the eye and they can look us in the eye and we can say to each other, you matter to me always. And then when we do that, 
we hear the other words of Jesus. Not only welcome a child, not only will the first must be last, but servant of all. I love those words. The greatest will be last and servant of all. So an Amish farmer one day was being asked by a bunch of tourists different things about his faith, different things about his life. And one of them looked at him and said, are you a Christian? That's a convicting question to ask someone. Are you a Christian? But I loved his answer. I don't know. You'll have to ask my neighbor. Mm. I don't know. You'll have to ask my neighbor. So look to the person to the left or the right of you. Just look at them. Just turn and look at them. They're nice. They've got a mask on. They won't bite you. I promise. If that question, if the person next to you asks you that question, are you a Christian? How do you think your other neighbor would answer on your behalf? If you were asked the question, are you a Christian? How would your neighbor answer that on your behalf? See, when Jesus was teaching the disciples, think about his whole ministry. It was all about changing. It's all about turning the world upside down. Just like they were trying to figure out what the definition of greatness was, Jesus flipped it upside down on them. But Jesus' whole ministry was doing that. The whole idea of servanthood just was part of the ethos of what Jesus was teaching us. I mean, here you got the Son of God, the one that can do all the miracles. And yet, where did you find Jesus always? Serving people. Feeding the hungry. Healing the sick. Giving water to the outcast. Speaking to people that no one else would look in the eye. Jesus washed the disciples' feet and basically said, if you haven't figured it out now, let me tell you what I'm talking about. See, that's the lesson, servanthood. See, our greatness is determined not so much by our faithfulness to reading the Bible. That's just a sign of how we grow and learn. But our faithfulness is determined how we live what we read in the Bible. How we take that story, how we live our faith through our service to each other and to the people of the world. See, our youth understand this. This afternoon, just in a few minutes, they are hosting Love Thy Neighbor. Now, they've been doing this for the last two years. They've been doing this in the midst of the pandemic, always figuring out what is the new twist? What is the new flip? How does it got to change? How have we got to do it? Because they care about the homeless in our community. And so they have striven to make sure that they don't stop serving in the midst of the upheaval of life around us. Serving people is part of who they are. And if we want to be great, if we want to be on the list of some of the greatest in the kingdom, then we've got to do just that to serve. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be on the list of being the greatest or on the list of some of the greatest in the kingdom because that is just part of who we were created to be by our nature. God only wants the best for us and only wants us to want the best for us. Remember, Jesus did not discourage the 12. He didn't say to them, oh, this idea of being great's bad. 
He said, let me flip the script on you. Let me turn the world upside down. Let me show you, great is not what you think it is. It's not status. It's not power. It's not who can remember the most scripture, who goes to church the most. Greatest is who humbles themselves and serves the others first. Greatest is the one that sees the least and says to them, you matter to me, to God, to the world. The greatest is the one who serves the world. Whoever wants to be first must be last and servant of all, said the Lord. Must welcome the undervalued as the most valued. To be great, we must humble ourselves, seek those who are the least in the world, and serve the world. My prayer for us this week is that you will be great, that I will be great, that we will be great for the world. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.